0: You're mixing a German Shepherd, which are known to be incredibly quiet dogs, Mm -hmm. with a Husky, which is known to have its own language. So you didn't exact like that wasn't exactly um, selection for um, peace,
1: right? I mean, you know, if breed says anything, my dog, being as shy as he is, definitely speaks truth because he's his other half is Blue Heeler, so. German shepherds being suspicious and quiet and to themselves and blue healers just being absolutely neurotic. <laughs> so he is neurotic and suspicious and introverted.
0: Oh. What he needs is improv classes. Right.
1: <laughs> that would be fantastic. Love the jokes he would tell. Or
0: pretend <laughs> oh to love them at least. Very much so. If you ever if you have friends who do improv, then you learn to love pretend to love very quickly. Um, I've heard a couple stories
1: from my sister, who was the actress in our family.
0: Mm, mm. Now that the tone has been brought down by the mention of improv.
1: Hello, 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 hello. and welcome hello. to Better Left Unsaid. Hi, Bruce. <laughs> sorry you start I'm, over I just... in no no I love it here's the thing anything about this podcast everybody knows it's a mess that's why we're here that's why it's
0: better left unsaid so that's why you were hunting me down so much because it's a mess thank you I like to show the best of the worst mm-hmm. or the worst of the best I'll, I personally I feel I'm more like the worst of the best than the best of the worst
1: I, I can personally relate to
0: that uh, you know in Dropbridge. school I graduated
1: in the Very top of the bottom 50%.
0: Oh, look at you all fancy with graduating. Look (laughs) at me. They let me out of this place. Go on. What else did they do? Grade your papers. Well, pretended to, you
1: know. (laughs) But welcome to Thank you. Better Left Unsaid. Uh, this is definitely an interesting experience for uh, me on my part, at least, because you are my first guest that I've actually had remotely, who I really don't know at all.
0: Yes. Sorry, who are you again? <laughs> you know, I think ultimately, if you were to examine the soul of a man, do we ever really know who we are? However, they've labeled me Bruce Snackson. Ostensibly, I am a... Sh- uh, filmmaker, actor, producer whose everything went away during the pandemic. I am now a podcaster with two podcasts. One's called The Fittest Fat Kid You Know, because I am. The other is called Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups, where I talk to people about fucking up, because they do. Or I will retake that and way you might be able to so it's, it's clean. Should I? I don't know, because I didn't ask whether we were or not.
1: It is better left unsaid. You can okay. say whatever you want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and I've done enough intro plugging that I should have because it annoys me on my show. But basically, I talk about things. um, I try to be funny. And I try to balance that with being emotionally honest. And, um, you know, just trying to be myself, even if I may not fully know who that is. Maybe you'll detect it. And we don't know each other, but we're going to sound like we do because we're just those kinds of people. Right? Right?
1: That is a fantastic way to be, especially on this show, just because... Mm -hmm. This is my therapy. Welcome to my therapy for this. No
0: problem. And exactly what went wrong with your relationship with your mother? Um,
1: mother maybe not. Father, well, mm. you know. There's a lot going on when your dad is the literal professional clown.
0: You know, when you put it like that, because <laughs> my dad was a professional hustler until he was professionally dead. And you know, there's there's trauma to spread around. Oh, this is supposed to be a fun show, isn't it? <laughs> uh,
1: We dive deep here, you know, we make light of probably some not very light stuff, and that's how Mm -hmm. we get through it. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, once again,
0: I cede control back to you. Right.
1: Um, Well, as is customary for anyone on Better Left Unsaid, any guests at least, uh, do you have an embarrassing story for us?
0: Well, um, I listed that I was an actor, and there's a reason for that. I am almost terminally shy now it doesn't come off that way on camera and it doesn't even come off that way in person if you were to ask my girlfriend am i shy she laughs and she doesn't believe it even when my mother went into detail about how shy i am liz thought i put my mom up to it and liz is my girlfriend by the way so to get over this shyness i decided to go into an acting class I didn't intend to be an actor because uh, I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to be on stage. I don't want people to look at me. But if there was ever going to be a chance that maybe just maybe I could meet a girl, kiss a girl, talk to human beings that weren't directly being forced to talk to me and me specifically forced to talk to them, I needed to do something. So what do you do? I figured an acting class might be uh, something to try. And so this became, if if, if you've ever taken an acting class and you had mentioned before we started recording that your sister was the performer of the family, your first acting classes are filled with silly things that are just trying to get you out of your head. It's that whole, like, you know, be a tree, be more like a tree. Or Meisner techniques where you look each other in the eye and just keep repeating what each other says. This is all, the whole point of these things are to connect to things. And as a shy person, it's very hard to connect to things. So, you know, you'd be, and also usually in these classes, they're full of very attractive people. And I didn't view myself in that way. So I'm now making eye contact with a, like incredibly beautiful person going like, your hair is green. Your eyes are green. Or desperately in my heart, I'm like, I need to look away. I need to look away. I need to look away, but I couldn't. Mm. This led to a series of very, very, what I felt embarrassing things because I began taking these classes that began helping a little bit. And then I got cast in my first play and it was a play called zoo story by Edward Albee. And it it's been such a long time. I can't really summarize the text of it, but basically these two men meet in a park. And one of them is somebody who has repressed his sexuality, who is awkward and he isn't able to connect with people. And Everything in his life is wrong and everything in his life has gone south, so much so that he's gone to this park to find somebody to kill him because he's too much of a coward to kill himself. That's who I played. The play is about 80% out of one actor's mouth and the rest are theater lines from the other actor, the guy sitting on the bench, as the zoo story is the story... That the one character tells this man about all these things, and he starts relating it to other things. It's a lot of really deep, personal, embarrassing things that I went from not being able to talk to more than two people at once to telling an auditorium full of three, 400 people this long, embarrassing story that wasn't mine, but I had to embody it again, doing the actor thing. But there are three, 400 eyes upon me talking about, like, one of the stories in this thing is talking about this dog that this character hates because the dog's always loud and always has an erection and just, um, he wants to connect to the dog, but he can't. So he eventually tries to poison the dog, but the dog survives. And then the dog beforehand would interact with him, but then the dog would avoid him. It was this weird story and I'm telling it to an audience full of 400 people who after the play would come up to me and talk to me as if I were this character. And so that became a running theme because one of the things about me is I don't look like I come from here. I look like I come from somewhere over there. Um, Like I just like, I'm slightly ethnic in some kind of way. So I could be Armenian. I could be Italian. I could be some like Russian. I could just be one of these guys. And when you're doing community theater, you fit this mold. So I got all of those parts, right? I'm still shy. But meanwhile, I do the boys next door and everybody thinks I actually have anxiety and mental issues. And now afterwards, everybody's coming up to me, especially all the old ladies and they're pinching my cheeks and they're telling me how cute I am. I'm still shy. And now now it's like I'm being bombarded by a bunch of aunties, all of who want to adopt me at once. Um, and I have to talk to all of them. I can't run away. Very much I went
1: from <laughs> from not talking to anybody to talking to everybody at the family reunion all
0: at once. And then something really, really weird and embarrassing began happening. Um, theater. I don't know if this is something that was normal for all theater, but I was there's a reason I have a show called The Fittest Fat Kid. You know, at 11 years old, I weighed 280 pounds, which is why I was shy, because, you know, people would do things to me like once. For fun, there was somebody who was supposed to be my friend, and I was just out at uh, like at a mall. And when you're, you know, eleven, twelve years old, when you weigh two hundred and eighty pounds, you know, you're wearing sweatpants. You know what sweatpants do? They pull down really nice and easily. Ooh. So um, he took to pantsing me in public several times. So this, the shyness as I'm laying it out in theater, as if it's this big deal, it isn't. It's, this is why it was a big deal, because all of these things were born out of the fact that ultimately I wanted to be invisible. Right. So an experience I never had before is I never was an object of desire. And that happened in theater. And I don't know, it didn't really have anything to do with me per se. It had to do with my position in a cast. And it's a hard thing to explain But the first time I got a lead, which was a romantic lead, I wasn't the first choice. I wasn't the second choice. I wasn't even the third choice. I was the choice that could do it. And it was a play called Miss Julie. And this is going to be the first time I'm kissing a girl on stage. Now, at this point, I have a girlfriend who also is a singer and she's singing a part in this play the girl who's the lead has an understudy and they're going to the it's supposed to be three four shows three shows or the regular cast one show is understudy everybody else dropped out of the understudy show aside from the understudy for miss julie so i now have these two beautiful girls girls i could never talk to if it wasn't sort of like here you go be her romance um You're being forced to do it yep like hi pretty blonde girl hi pretty dark-haired girl um yes Of course I love you. You know, it's, but they're fighting over me, but they would have fought over a dead horse if it responded to the name Jean. Uh, And the, the, the one girl is kind of going crazy because she had things going on in her life and began confusing what was happening with us in rehearsals with real life. I've never experienced this before. I've never dealt with this before. And my girlfriend is being exposed to this i barely landed that one um but we were sent off to kiss for the first time because the lead had the other lead of the understudy wouldn't kiss me at all we actually had to stage it in such a way so that um it would look from behind that i was kissing her but we were like about an inch apart and she later on her name was Her name was Stacy, and she actually, even though they were fighting over me, she was the sane one. She was the nice one. And my show with her was really good. But she later explained to me, she was like, I know you felt rejected and hurt that I wouldn't kiss you. She was like, it had nothing to do with you. It was, there was a lot of weird stuff going on between Laura, the other girl, and your girlfriend. And I didn't want to add to that. I didn't want to make that worse because I like your girlfriend. I like you. And too much weirdness was going on. So I needed it to be clear to your girlfriend that I wasn't trying to do anything to you. So that's why I wouldn't kiss you. That's why we had to do it this way. Right. If it wasn't for that, it would have been fine. But it wasn't fine. I, res- I respected that. But this other girl was full on kind of pursuing me and a lot more physically intimate. And girls who looked like that didn't show interest in me and i didn't know what to do about it so i have people approaching me who don't know who i am because i do a play where i do an accent and then people want to know if that's my voice and so i've got like groups of drunk people going hey man you speak (laughs) it's like okay um hi how many of there are you like are we having a fight what's going on i just i just want to go home and eat um story. know. Yeah, it's like, oh man, I was just like, because you sounded—you don't sound like you sounded. It's like, yeah, I, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, um, on it was all very, very. I felt embarrassing because, again, in the back of my head, in this point, I wasn't that heavy, but in the back of my head, I was always that heavy, and I was always not that attractive. So these interactions just always felt weird and awkward, and I didn't know what to do with them. And then I got further out in community theater where it turns out that community theater tended to be filled with married women who were not very happy in their lives. And again, if you were were not the background, you might get some interest. And this is not something that happened to me. I don't know how to deal with this. And that went weird. Uh, and the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me is I was in a play called Agnes of God. Now, anybody who knows anything about the movie or the play, Agnes of God knows that there's no guys in it. Agnes of God is a two women play about a nun who gives birth to a child that she, um, that doesn't survive. And she essentially throws away and they discover it. And then she's talking to a psychologist and the nun keeps talking about this religious experience. And this angel that visits her that ultimately turns out a guy climbed in her window who was a janitor at the place where she worked and raped her. Oh my goodness, so very much you know your your light Saturday afternoon fair, Agnes this of is, God, this is all community theater, all community theater community theater is a is a wonderful melange, oh my God. I used the word correctly, this wonderful melange <laughs> of weirdness and musicals and whatnot. I I was in a whole, like I played um, a specially abled person in The Boys Next Door. I played uh, Eastern European person. I, I played one of the guards in um, One floor Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. I'm trying to think, what else did I play? I, I played uh, a police detective. I I, I played uh, uh, one of the Italian brothers in... And, um, a view from the bridge, like just all these different things. And and my thing is I was always with one or two exceptions. I was always some kind of character. I once played Pete, the cowardly apostle in a play called the branch, which was supposedly in a historical take on the life of Jesus. And, um, I accidentally made the apostle Peter an alcoholic by a choice that I made. And that became like this big part of the play, (laughs) um, it's, it's, but it was all very, very strange and weird. But the weirdest thing was Agnes of God, because um, it was the first time somebody came up to me in another play, because I used to have this long hair, like long curly hair, because um, my hair wants to Jufro. And so if I don't keep it short, I've got to keep it very long. So and when it's long, if I take care of it, it looks like curly and luxurious. It's, it's truly a wonder of 80s heavy metal. Um, or it could be.
1: Don't tell my partner that because he has been wanting to grow out his hair for far too long.
0: Don't listen to this, Josh. Josh, go away. Josh, just go. <laughs> but Agnes, so I was doing a play called Devious Means. And here, this this was a double character in that play. Um, I played a short order cook. It was like a play within a play. So every character in this play which um was written i can't remember the guy's name anymore but he had like um a play called sunset bar and grill and he was like a local guy and he wrote this play called devious means which was about this diner that was near a mall shooting as the mall shooting was happening and how everybody at this diner was trying to use the mall shooting to get their 15 minutes of fame and and it's like back then there was like only what like one mall shooting every few years as opposed to, um, what time is it now? I think right. we'll do one in the next 20 minutes.
1: Honestly, though. Oof.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was very, not only was it prescient about the, the shootings, but also the way the media would really grind into them. Right. And so all the different characters had their angle on what was happening. And I played a shorter cook named Dog, who then breaks character talking about how much he hates being in this play. <laughs> and. <laughs> and and they decided, like, so the character a dog talk like this. Hey man, it was like so low tone, those porns, man, they were like so so cool, man. It's like totally awesome. And then when he breaks character, it was like, Can you do an English accent? No, can you learn one? Uh sure. There's one thing I hate is being in this play. It is totally dreadful. It wasn't a good accent, but so again, like two characters out of one. Meanwhile, I did that, and this lady saw me in this play, and she came up to me. She was like, "There's this play I want to use you in." <laughs> like somebody wants me in, so I like follow up with her, and it turns out it's Agnes of God. I don't know. I don't know that there's no male characters in Agnes of God, right? And so I go to the first rehearsal, and I'm introduced to her understudy, this beautiful blonde girl from Finland, and the girl, the lady whom has done this play eight other times. She, even though she's, I think at the time she was in her early 40s, she plays Agnes all the time. She was a small petite lady, um, looked young. And Agnes is supposed to be 18, 19. Mm. But the thing is, she keeps doing this play. I did not know that because that would have been a warning sign. That would have been a red flag because she's working through something through this play. And I don't know what she's working through, but the implications of what the play is, says it can't be anything that great.
1: Yeah. And and she's, community theater <laughs> as you, as you've so eloquently laid out before, um, Bored Housewives doing things that.
0: Yep. That they their feel the need. And, yes. She, so, and, um, I'm there. I've just met this, I mean, who, who isn't even going like, even though she's the understudy, she's not getting a performance. What ends up happening is we're, we're being described what we're going to do, and I'm going to be the angel. So I'm now like the angel that this that Agnes talks about will appear four or five times during the play. And there's like this um, ramp. And I'm also going to not have shoes on, which is important to understand because the ramp is very, very, very slippery. <sighs> so there's a ramp that I will be, that I will have to come out on and I'm in a white robe and makeup and this like head thing and it's and I'm being described this scene you're going to come out here you're going to do this this scene you're going to come out here you're going to do that this scene this is what's going to happen we get to the final scene that I'm going to appear in and what she describes is here's what's going to happen they had this scrimmed off area that you couldn't look into unless lights hit it in a certain way and as there's this big monologue that Agnes gives about her rape so what's going to happen during this monologue about the rape is the lights are going to come on and you're going to see as Agnes is on stage talking, there's going to be another Agnes there praying and the angel is going to come out and appear to Agnes. And then the angel is, and Agnes is on her knees praying and the angel will stand before Agnes. And then the angel will reach out to Agnes and he will, by gently touching her face, he will lift her up. He will then spin her around. So she's now facing outward. He will run his hand, down her cheek, at which point he will run down her body and grab her boob. She will then turn towards the angel to push him away. And in pushing the angel away, the angel will scoop her up into his arms and hold her out, at which point the angel will lay Agnes down on the ground and then lay on top of her. And then the lights will dim and then they will disappear. While this is being described to me, I feel a hand enter my hand and start squeezing it. It's the girl who's just listening to this with like the expression on this girl's face. Uh, We're going to call her Annie, even though that's not her name. Annie is there just like, like holding my hand, gripping Mm -hmm. it. And I I think she was doing it because there was no one else. Like she had no idea this was coming. I had no idea this was coming. So this is a lot to ask of people. (laughs) This is not normal. But we're going to do it. And so for the first time, the first, of course, I had several concerns, not the least of which is, are you OK if I'm touching your boob? Right. What's your last name? Um, <laughs> but also, you want me to go from a standing position holding this girl um, whom wasn't 90 pounds. I mean, she was very attractive, but she was like five foot eight. Like it, it's it's a nice amount of weight that you still have to maneuver from a standing position to lay down directly on the floor. Right. So my major concern was doing that without concussing her, um, because it's community theater. I'm fairly sure. I know we had insurance, but I didn't really know whether this would be covered. Well, so good insurance for, you know, uh, <laughs> well, for theater, my head theater rape. Yeah. I, on this it, In this theater, I'd split my head open and they did cover the medical bills of all that. So I knew the insurance was pretty good, but, I, but still, I didn't want to hurt her. And so, you know, we walked through this action five times. Now, me and this girl have yet to have anything that resembled a conversation with, like beyond like, hi, I'm Bruce. It's lovely to meet you. Annie, nice to meet you too. I'm looking forward to working with you. That's the extent of our relationship at this point. So now it's spin around. And of course the first time it's like hand down the cheek and like my hand stops here and it's sort of like um, and she's like, it's okay. 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 (laughs) And um, again, now here's where the shyness comes in because it's sort of like, I've never gotten to second base. And and the first time I've met somebody ever. And now I'm doing it in a theater. That was a converted church Um, in a, like as an angel to a nun. So, not that I'm religious or anything. And again, I came out of a Jewish tradition. However, you've still stacked on quite a bit of subtext into one brief moment of time. That's okay. I grew up Catholic. So the- so you understand this, the multiplier going on here. Oh. You understand the game multiplying happening in this one moment. We're at like 12x awkwardness. The Catholic um,
1: guilt is strong with this one.
0: Yes. So we do this about five times. and And the big thing about it was how to get her... From this upright position to the ground, and what I what I settled on is once I got her up, if I could get my hind leg back and sort of uh, you know um, lunge downward, and then I could pu- I could then ease her legs to the floor. She's now safe, and then I could swing my leg out of the way, get her down, and then in that motion also kind of get on top. <laughs> I it it is amazing
1: and i've never thought of um how much choreography goes into
0: uh stage sexual assault yes yes um quite a bit and then this the, these moments then created um it set up a weird dynamic in this relationship because our our relationship <laughs> was primed sexual from the get go mm. because Everything, our entire interaction here. And I I, I didn't realize that this was going to be the case, aside from one time. So, like, I'm ostensibly funny, especially when I'm nervous. Because to try to deal with being nervous and deal with talking to people and just not, again, not wanting to be alone. And yes, I managed to land a a girlfriend by acts of happenstance. Being funny was the thing that I could do. Right. when at the end of the day and we're talking a little bit and saying goodbye, I'm joking with her on making her laugh because otherwise I i mean, clearly I'm not quite as shy around her now because, well, um, I have a pretty good like idea of the geography of her body at this point, much like the second girl I ever had an idea of the geography of their body um, without actually having any kind of relationship with her. Right, so that put it into this awkward realm to begin with, as I said before, and I'm making her laugh, and then she, like, she gets so flustered and nervous. She drives off and really takes me because I'm leaning into her car, talking to her. And really takes me with her, which oh. made me go like, I survived that, but also like, hmm, that, that that was different. And throughout the next rehearsal or two, you know, she's holding my hand from time to time, and then one day, and again, I can't stress not I not. Meeting the actresses and actors, these are very much attractive people, much more attractive than I saw myself as. So the idea any of them would be interested in me was still alien beyond the fact that, oh, I'm in this play because I'm answering to this name. They want my attention, but it's because I'm the lead. And then the play ends and then we never speak again because there we go. She one day we're just behind the scenes waiting for our cue. And she just starts kissing my neck Ooh. out of the clear blue. I didn't know what to do. So I did nothing. I just st- sat there. And this happened. And yes. as it turned, yeah. And then back over at Devious Means, which was still going, um, there was a long haired girl who played a reporter, was mostly the stage manager. And she was showing interest. And my girlfriend was actively aware that these girls were showing interest and my girlfriend was showing interest in other people and things were getting really weird and awkward. And I am totally not equipped to deal with any of this. No girl spoke to me before I was 20. I am not ready for any of this. I don't know what to do. (laughs) And it just got amazingly weird and awkward. Um, We had a stage manager at, at, at um, Agnes of God who broke up with her longstanding boyfriend and I had lunch with her to comfort her. And that made Annie jealous. And then while I was having this lunch and I told my girlfriend at the time, I was going to have this lunch with this girl and here's what happened. And here's where I'll be. Um, While I was there, they were on AIM talking and Annie was planting seeds of Annie was not happy that I was comforting this girl. And so now really weird Jerry Springer-esque stuff is starting to happen. (laughs) I imagine. (laughs)
1: There's a lot of acting turning into pseudo-dating, turning into pseudo-sexual assault, turning into... Yes, actual sexual stuff,
0: yes. It's a metamorphosis. It is an entire entire thing. It is also exactly where, um, after this, I decided it doesn't matter if I'm single, it doesn't matter if... I have a relationship falling off. It doesn't matter. I could be actively on the hunt for just like that last human contact I will ever have in my life. It will never, ever come out of a job that I do, a performance that I'm in, a work situation that is just such a bad idea, regardless to, you know, and and this is me as somebody thinking like, well, if I lose my girlfriend, I'm going to die alone. Because again, shy, awkward, don't know how to do any of this. Like I didn't get comforted, like comfort in the, I didn't get confident in the idea that, Hey, I might be like, this might've ended. I might be signal, but I can find somebody like there's enough valuable about me that I can find somebody if I want to, or if I might not
1: the other person
0: being with you, right? It's sort of like, if I blow it with you, then I'm going to die alone. Most likely face down in a thing of hungry man, fried chicken. I have been there. (laughs) Yes both with The Feeling and The Hungry Man Fried Chicken, I understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, look, we're men, we understand. We're hungry men. Um, See, now sponsoring- TV dinner. <laughs> I know. Me too. And I don't have one. But, <laughs> so, with Agnes, it just got very intense. And the direct And and so we're playing out this director's pseudosexual, like psychosexual fantasy or whatever was going on. She wasn't happy because she could see all of this tension that was getting, you know, worse and worse in the moment that me and my actual girlfriend had like a little bit of a split up there. Annie absolutely pounced. And that was, and she was married. And that was the thing about this. Um, and I was young and stupid. So um, it then became this weird tension between her and then the girl in the other play. And then when trying to work things out with my girlfriend, it just became this big stew of weird psychosexual awkwardness. I love that phrase. That just, I I, I didn't know what to deal with. And then it, what Eventually happened is um, what eventually happened, is, and how it all ended. Thankfully, because I wasn't equipped to, like, I was just being pulled along for the ride. I had no, I had no real control over any of this because you know. I imagine I, most
1: people would. I'd, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture literally any other actor in the world being in a pseudo sexual psycho square of yes weird tension and being this is okay i this is this is good like you this know is good dog dog in a flaming room
0: yep this is good nothing's happening this is this is fine this is fine yeah no it was it was very much like that and then um she wanted me to take acting classes with her and i signed up for it and then she went on vacation with her husband who was never, ever there, which was a big part of the problem to Aruba. And then, and he was also seeing someone on the side. They like, that was the other thing about this, all of the, like, for whatever reason within the realm of, of, yeah. of my morass of, um, soap operaness, all of the ladies, their husbands were, they themselves having, you know, fun aside. Cause the other girl in the other theater, her husband was a musician And he would keep telling her he was were different places and, you know, she would verify that he wasn't and that happened. And that only ended once, you know, she got pregnant and then they all kind of, they settled back into like an actual functional family unit. But, and I didn't have that much connection to that one because, um, well, like it was just dominated by the thing going on at Agnes of God. Right. When, um, she went to a room and came back, she wanted to reconnect to her to her husband, I was still, you know, in a state of being broken up. I didn't respond to that well because I didn't know how to respond to it. And I was now in class with her and she just wanted to be, we're just supposed to downshift into being friends. And I didn't know how to do that or take it. And Um, after
1: being dragged along, it, uh, it seems, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty reasonable response.
0: So eventually got back together with my girlfriend at the time. And then the, in the very next play that I got cast in. This was another one where I was a romantic lead, which again, that happened to me twice. A romantic lead was twice. Miss Julie, and then it was an educational play for um, Edgar Allan Poe, and it was called, it was it was like a, an, a take on Fall of the House of Usher. And I there was four people in the play, and I was one of them. And what happened is the very first rehearsal, afterwards we all go out to have dinner, and we're at an Applebee's because we are high-class people. Of course, if it's not Applebee's, it's,
1: you know, Chili's or
0: Friday's. Um, Yeah. Um, There was another one. It was Chi-Chi's. It could have been Chi-Chi's. Yeah. Not the pizza joint. We had different Chi-Chi's. But we were there and the lead actress who who up to this point has been warm towards me, friendly towards me. She's asking me about my personal life. And this is the girl who's, I'm going to be opposite romantic Mm wise. And um, actually, I remember I had a third romantic lead years later, but that was it. Um, that I didn't write for myself. And she's like asking me about my personal life. And I let it drop that I have this girlfriend. And her entire demeanor changed in, in that moment. And she stopped being warm to me. She stopped being friendly. And we had chemistry on stage. It was fine. I didn't actually kiss her. So it didn't matter that much. But she was she was going to be my girlfriend for the play. We were like, she was, it was going to be for this duration. We were going to have this 12 week run and I was going to be, I, I was going to be her boyfriend, but I had a girlfriend, so I couldn't. So she just disregarded, absolutely disregarded me. <laughs> and that was, um that was a much better type of awkwardness than what happened before. But um again, community theater. And that was, I th- it was it was around that time that I had been getting enough experience with all these strange screwed up experiences that finally it was kind of like all right I know on the inside I still feel this way but now I'm used to with all this crap going on like hey meet my friend Phil hey Phil how you doing man nice to meet you
1: right <laughs> I mean um, going through the frying pan my my goodness and I think I think the quirkiest part to me is the fact that outsider's perspective i have no clue that community theater is um, incestuous filled with this kind of drama it is tumultuous oh my goodness oh
0: oh god yes um um, a lot of um outside of professionalism like when you get to a professional level with theater it's full of people who are living their dreams and fantasies Mm. more of their fantasies than their dreams i think because ultimately you have people who, this is their escape from their their day jobs. This is where they get to be the center of attention and they get to be really, really special. So you have somebody who works, whatever they do. And then they go on the stage and they get to be the center. There was a guy named Tony. And he, the whole reason there was a view from the bridge in this one place was because Tony always wanted to play the lead in a view from the bridge. And he was on the board and he was like, he was in everything they did this um, it was called The Footlighters. And it, I had several good experiences at The Footlighters, including getting my head cracked open. Um, and um, the play I was in got a terrible review, but the reviewer is the guy who found me um, bleeding profusely. And <laughs> actually, there's a cute story. So this is my first and, and, and one that doesn't involve a sexual component, thankfully. Um, this is my first play out in community theater that wasn't at a community college. And it's 30 miles away from where I live. I'm really the stage manager, but I got a part of a guy who walks on as like a, a moving guy who is just sort of part of a ruse. And he walks on and he asks for a question or two and then he walks off and that's what he does. And this is what they wanted me to sound like when I did it. So this is what I'm doing.
1: Every moving guy and janitor is uh, mm-hmm. you know, from it is Jersey that- or Boston or...
0: Yeah. It's some undefined northeastern part of right. the country. Helps, I'm from Philadelphia. I'm halfway there to begin with. And yeah, hey, is there were Mr. Dennison around, Santoro. Santoro's moving in storage. We got your stuff right here. Right here. Um, it's like, so I'm the stage manager, which means I have to get everybody in place. And it's this big converted stone church because they all were in one form or another. And there was um, the main area where the pews are are still used them as the seats. And there's the stage up front where the religious ceremonies would have had it happened. And then there was like, a, at the back of the house, there was like a ladder going up to where the lights were. And then there was like a couple steps down to where the green room, was, where a mixing room was. And there was like a green room and there were the bathrooms and I, it's time to give two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. It's very important. So I'm running to give two minutes and I apparently bounded down the two steps, caught the top of my head on the, the top of the doorway. I hinged up like a cartoon, fell onto my back, bounced down the two steps, popped right up and was like just trying like I could feel that my head hurt and I could just and I'm trying to beeline to the green room. Suddenly, blood fills my vision. Oh, my goodness. I am pouring blood down the face. Now, it's important to note the place called Rehearsal for Murder. That's a, <laughs> that's a detail that needs to be incorporated now. So, I'm still going to community college, and the local theater critic is one of the people who teaches the classes at the community college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He comes out of the bathroom. He takes a look at me, and he looks at me, and I am bleeding. I am if you've ever seen one of those old hardcore professional wrestling matches where they used to get juice and they were just like covered in blood or whatnot, oh, yeah. I look twice as bad as that. I am just <laughs> dripping. It looks like it looks like something out of a Japanese horror movie. And he comes out of the bathroom, and he takes a look at me and he's like, Oh, that looks great. That looks good. I've seen <laughs> stage blood, but that that looks real. Meanwhile, I'm starting to shake. I'm also starting to cry, not because I'm upset or anything. My body is going into a physiological shock. My body's going to cry now. I'm like, get Alma, who is the actual person running the show. He's like, that looks great. That looks. Are, are you OK? Get Alma. Blood is pouring down and he runs over. And I'm now just like I can't see, I can't see, I can't move. I'm shaking. He goes to the green room. He's banging the door. He's like, "You need to get out here. Bruce has been injured." They pour out, and like somebody grabs me and they take me. Uh, one of the people in the cast um, was former military, a captain. So he immediately just he's like ordering people around what to do. This this girl. Um, Another member of the cast who is very lovely. I don't remember her name, but she's now cleaning up the blood that she immediately is trying to clean up the blood. As somebody has taken a towel and they've slammed it on my head so hard for there to be a cut on the head. So hard that hurt. And I'm bleeding. I'm shaking. I'm crying uncontrollably. Uh, But I'm trying to signal that I'm okay. I mean, for, for all the like my body. Bawling its eyes out, all the blood pouring out of myself. I'm trying, like I'm trying to signal for a pen so I could write. I know it looks bad. Internally, I'm calm. I can't stop crying. Um, and meanwhile, there's this guy who they keep telling me is a nice guy, but I hated from this moment forward. He was like, "Oh great, who are you going to get to go on?" Oh my god. <laughs> and, and so I'm. They get somebody to rush me off to the hospital. And um, the play got a horrible review, but my injury certainly. Certainly got rave reviews.
1: It was you came accidentally dressed for the dress for the play.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, for the victim. Wow. I wasn't the victim. That <laughs> was great. They had to get somebody else to do the parts so or the guy they. It's not like like. I had five lines, no big deal. Right. So there was a police detective, the guy who played the police detective, who also was like someone who was on the crew in some capacity. They had him do the part, so what it made it, it actually added a layer to the play because it made it look like the guy who was the police detective at the end also had turned up as the moving guy undercover. <laughs> so like it actually worked out really well, and I was taken to the hospital where bleeding profusely, trying to fill out paperwork. And everyone's trying to calm me down, but they don't get that I'm internally calm. And every so often, the crying would just turn off, like someone flipped a switch, and I could talk normally for a moment. And I would say, and something was like, at some point, I want to start crying again, and I'm sorry about that. Right now, I'm calm. Ask me as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, fucked. Oh. Um, so um, not necessarily. I don't know if that counts as an embarrassing story um
1: i think definitely one to add to the books i mean as far as anything like that i uh, like uh, i hesitate to say the closest thing i had was being two-year-old and running into a wall and Mm -hmm. cracking my head open harry potter scar and everything and them medicating me at the hospital and checking to make sure I didn't have any brain damage and my dad walking in and immediately walking out (laughs) it's like nope well I am just all smiles with my head being pulled open
0: look daddy brain
1: (laughs) I don't know what's happening (laughs) this is the best I've ever
0: felt (laughs) unicorns are real I see them I uh I was I know, as a baby around I don't know how old I was, I was dropped off the changing table, and I have a vague recollection of this because i I remember of rolling off and everything being black and screaming. Now I could have invented that memory knowing that these things happened to me, but I have a little scar on my chin that came from that instance
1: right so
0: I mean, but i I have a awful fear of being upside
1: down, so roller coasters have always been kind of iffy for me uh and come to find out uh i had been strapped into a baby seat and it had fallen off the couch and suspended me upside down tied into it which is what it's supposed to do Mm -hmm. you know
0: minus the trauma (laughs) well think of it you know on the one hand psychological trauma for the rest of your life but luckily not head trauma at the time Right. So ultimately, it's the, it's the better of two traumas. That I, I can agree with that. <laughs> Which I think is the way to view all traumas. Could it have been worse? Yes. Yes, it could have.
1: I know I definitely still do, but more, uh, you know, years and years ago, ask myself, could this be worse? Yes, it could definitely be worse.
0: I was scared to death of roller coasters until I finally was dragged on one. And I don't know why. I think just because I was a coward. Like as a child, I just was a frightened child up until. Um, actually, it's a part of, it's, it kind of is a long standing part of my personality where because I'm such a coward, I tend to then feel shame. And once I feel shame, I come back five times harder than I really should have in most situations because I flinched and now I want to make up for that. So I come back swinging very, very hard. <laughs> so. And there are worse ways to be. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, like most of the stuff I do, I have no idea what I'm doing while I'm doing it. So it's just that general thing of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll dive in. Welcome Um, to my podcast. Yes. Welcome to my (laughs) podcast as well. (laughs) I don't know.
1: I don't know. I, I, you know, just talk and hope for the best. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hope someone can
0: listen to this and be like, huh, I've been there. Yes. And if but. you have been there, please say hi to Annie for me. <gasps> Actually, I would say this, cause I don't like, I I don't want to like, um, because I feel like I've relayed this story because this is the story that happened to me, mm-hmm. but I honestly think um, to give her her due. First off, she's one of the smartest people I've ever met mm-hmm. legitimately. Um, and one of the most talented people I ever met. Part of the reason I ultimately decided to pursue acting was because um she really wanted to do it and of all the people i'd met to that time she was the person i most thought could have done it and she lived in los angeles at one point and she never tried because she didn't want to take the leap she was afraid she would fail so she didn't do it right and because of that i moved out to los angeles because i was like i I don't know what i want to do with my life but clearly just not trying anything gets you nowhere i'm gonna take this leap of faith And we will eventually see whether that was a great idea or not. But she was really smart. And I don't think, I think what happened with us was more born out of a couple things versus uh, any character flaws on Mm. her part. I think what happened between us was because, one, we were put in a high endorphin high pressure sensual situation immediately that was not porn but you know kind of at the very least you could see porn from the hill that we were standing on porn porn adjacent yes on top of that both of us were going through weird relationship things her marriage was not good my relationship was not good and i think i don't think either of us were at the height of intimate contact at that point. And we were thrust together. And I, that really was not meant to come out like that. We were. <laughs> <put together. laughs> but, I, I
1: honestly, I, I get it. And yeah, I think, you. I think that's true for everybody. And uh, throughout all of our mm-hmm. lives from beginning to end is how much, how much of what we do is circumstance. And yes. it just happens.
0: But yeah, cause I'm, and and it's me painting this picture and I just want to, I just want to, in as much as having laid out the whole thing with her, I, I don't want her, I don't want it in, I don't, I, just, I don't want it just left on her like, Hey, there was this cougar and I was happily mauled by her. Cause that is not really what happened. Right. It was, it was more of a set of circumstances that were very uniquely unique. And on top of the fact that we both knew that we were involved in what we thought was going to be like, Hey, it's a play. It's, it's for entertainment purposes. We're working through somebody's deep psychological scars here. This is, and you could feel it permeate. Once you learned, once it just became very clear, something really strange was going on on top of everything else. And it just made it, it just, it became this weird type of pressure cooker that neither of us were really, really um, set for. And I remember a couple years later, because after the uh, class, we lost each other's numbers and life moved on. Mm -hmm. And then I was auditioning around community theater and i went to this one audition and there she was and i went in i managed to audition before her and i left immediately after the audition and i went home and actually in this instance home was kind of really close nearby because it was um, in a place called bucks county in pennsylvania and there was a bucks county theater that was like a mile and a half away from my home it would have been great it would have been the closest i'd ever got do something. I didn't get into the play, yes. and uh, neither did she, as it turned out. I think, but having not communicated or whatnot with her, I got a phone. Like I, I went home, and you know, like th- I, my girlfriend, and we're still having issues, but we're not having these issues. And I immediately tell her, "Here's like I ran into Anina. She was there, um, and any And I get a phone call, and it's her. And I look at my girlfriend, and she's like, "Take it." And I like, "Hey," she's like, "Hey," I, she's like, "You know, I wanted to." go out and get coffee with you afterwards. I wanted to talk. I was like, okay. And at which point I was like, hold on a second. And my girlfriend was like, I'm going to go. You have your conversation with her. Get it done. Right. And she went and went away somewhere. And we talked about it. And, you know, we went in depth about what had happened between us. And I told her, I was like, you know, what? Ha- here's the reality of what happened with us from my perspective. This thing happened and I was absolutely not ready for it. I was not emotionally prepared for it. I didn't know how to handle it. And um, what can I say? You're the second person I was with in my life, possibly third. I am not experienced. And th- the entire structure of this, I was not set for. I was like, what I believe though, is at the time, if instead of getting upset and us having these arguments, And having all this weird situation, if you came back from your vacation with your husband and you just said, you know, we're going to try to make it work. And I simply said, well, that's cool. You know, I had fun. We'll do lunch. I was like, we probably would have been back in the affair within three months. Right. Like we just, that's what would have happened. And she was like, that is what would have happened. Yes. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, maybe, you know, we can, I was like, I don't think we, we can be friends. I don't think that that's a great idea because now that we're out of that situation and you know you're still married right i'm still with my girlfriend so i don't i know that there are people that can do this i don't think you can and i don't know that i can either so we're just not going to right um and that was sort of the last that we ever had contact aside from i ended up seeing her in one play later on and we had a conversation, and she asked me what I thought of the play, and I told her, and she found that to be, as she described it, a bit boorish. So um, oh. she didn't. <laughs> I've, have, I've, have like, I, I've since, I've since learned that when I go to anybody's play that I know, and they're like, "What did you think?" To say things like, "And by the way, this is advice for everybody. If you have a friend, and they're." going to a plane, you know it's going to be terrible. And they ask you what it's like. Here are things you can say that sound like that they are thoughtful compliments, but you've in fact said nothing. Wow. You know, I've never really thought about the material from that perspective. And it's such a unique take that I've never really considered that it could be presented in that way. That was like, I mean, to say fascinating is an understatement. I mean. Break that down. I can't say I wouldn't be flattered. Right, uh, <laughs> but, what, but what did I say to you? Goodness.
1: What a fascinating take.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. The choices made were so bold. They were so bold that I don't think I actually have words. I think the most flattering part about that is the
1: fact that you are not putting anything on any of the actors whatsoever, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is class act. Yep. Because, um, I mean, yeah. I grew up in rich white suburbs where theater teachers have a lot of say and too much power and people <laughs> scream at students to
0: Google them. Um, do you know who I am? Well, if you need to ask, I think the answer there, there it is. Yeah, right. Right. Um, do you know how much I actually care? I mean, like, there's a there's a flip side to that question, there, Bucko. <laughs> Right. But I think,
1: you know, this, this, uh, these stories also serve to sort of show, you know, we, we are a product of our circumstances, we are a product of the people who come in and out of our lives. Um, And suffice to say, do you think you would be where you are now without that experience?
0: Uh, To be honest with you, no, for uh, various reasons, not the least of which is, so this is where it gets out of awkwardness and gets towards like kind of life and work philosophy. Right. Um, I take everything I do really, really seriously because I'm a relative unknown and even with like my podcasts, I don't have that much of a viewership, but that doesn't mean I'm not a professional. So I always conduct myself as a professional and I learned to do that out of these experiences because these experiences were anything but professional these theaters, which were built on passion and drive, were not professional in any way, shape, or form. So, I, I've learned to conduct myself as a professional because of this. I have, anytime I have a set that I've thrown, I don't care if after we're done, you get together. I don't care what you do. Don't do it on my set. I don't care what's going on in your life. Don't have it go on on my set because my life is not going on on my set. Here it's a professional, and if it's even if it's a small production, that doesn't mean I'm not putting everything I have into it. And I expect at the very least that to be respected. So um, I've had instances where I've had actors like I had I, I have a short film. It's called Lunchtime Is Over, and I'm very proud of it because it's my it's my um stunt piece, and I do all of my everyone in it, it it was born out of a stunt class. We all do our own stunts. And I, and the whole idea is we're going to get some footage for our stunt reels. And we're, I'm putting this thing together. I was like, instead of it just being us doing random actions, why don't we build like some kind of framing device into it and make a story out of it. And and I, and and I made this production with like a friend of mine who co-produced it. Um, His name's Gilbert Feliciano. I want to give him credit, but I had a friend come up to me and he was like one of the actors And I really like this guy. And he was like, you know, and I was talking about my view of professionalism. He's like, you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do this. He was like, unless one thing happens, if this happens, I have to go. It was like, you know, if Garrett Warren calls me and wants me on his movie set, I'm going to have to do that. I'm like, well, here's the thing, buddy. If that is the case, you need to determine that now. Right. Because I don't care if that's your big opportunity. I'm putting a ton of work into this. And if I cannot rely on you, you can't be there. So even if Garrett Warren calls you, so for you to be there, you can't go. And yes, I know that would be a paying job and this is not a paying job. But if that is too much of a commitment for you, you can't shit can all of my work, all of Gilbert's work, all of everybody else's work, just because you got an opportunity to earn $300. Right. Not acceptable. Like So you need, since you've said this. You need to right now make that choice and tell me whether you're going to be there or not. Because if you're not, you need to step out now and I need to replace you.
1: I mean, professionalism by definition.
0: Yeah. Yep. So these experiences taught me these things. I had a, a sketch comedy group that I put together because I did take improv classes at Second City out here. And I made a, a guy who's become very much a close friend of mine. He's been my writing partner, um, though his career he has taken off somewhere else that's not connected to entertainment. So we've been writing in a long time. His name is Manuel Gutierrez. I call him Manny, and now a lot of people do because apparently I was the first one. But Manny and m- myself and this girl, lady, Tracy, she's, she's the person in my life I view as a big sister. I love her so much. <laughs> In fact, um, she owned, I had a dog that she ended up owning because that dog who was another one of my mother's dogs tried to kill my other dog, Millie, and I couldn't allow that. And Tracy became the owner of, of my other dog, Rosie. Right. Um, otherwise Rosie was the sweetest dog ever. Irrelevant. We filmed, we formed a sketch comedy group, improv group called bizarre love triangle. Cause there was five of us. And that's improv logic. And we, you know, began doing like shows and, and, and production. Uh, um, But, you know, but we were beginning to make short films or whatnot. And it was us trying to hold this thing together. And it was all about being professional and, and, you know, being on time and and doing these things. And and yeah, it just became, I I wanted to move into making productions. And when it's just you and a couple of your friends, if somebody fails you, you're just screwed, but you can be out a lot of time and effort for somebody who's just going to, Who basically, I'm going to turn up, oh, I got offered a job for $150. And we had one girl who, was go- who promised to help us in various ways and we were reliant on her. And then she, she got something like that. And it was sort of like, she just left us last minute. Wow. And my, my buddy Gilbert was like, you know, I understand her going. I was like, I understand her going too. I still will never bring her to another set like, I understand. Right. It's like, but when you make a commitment, you make a commitment and you you have to hold yourself to that standard. So for like my podcast, I put like 15 hours, 16 hours worth of work per episode. Right. I, I make sure that I look good. I make sure I sound good. I make sure that whomever I'm interviewing looks and sounds good. I don't know what I'm doing, but I put in the time and effort because I want someone to take me seriously. I want you to believe that if you were to trust me with this project if you were to bring me on your set to produce your to play your material or to help you produce your material that you believe that whatever problems you might have I'm not one of them and those were the lessons i've learned because everything was unprofessional and that's the whole part of which is oh i you know i actually forgot the point i was going with bizarre love triangle as we were looking okay. for members we had one or two people come in who were sort of like hey my boyfriend's also a comedian my girlfriend is also an improviser can we bring them in and it was always no right it's like we're it's like i'm sure you have a wonderful relationship and i'm sure everything is absolutely great at home but if th- something did happen that would affect bizarre love triangle and we we don't want that so we're just we're, we're just from the get-go couples aren't we're not allowing couples to join it's just you're the one who walked through the door. We want you. You're the one who walked through the door. We'll take you. But I'm sure your partner's great. I can't wait to meet him at one of our shows.
1: Right. I mean, I think I think that's just best practice, and you know, I think that's why I appreciate you coming and joining me mm-hmm. this evening. Just because, um, I mean, I could tell by watching your stuff that you have that. Uh, sort of thoughtfulness and care. Into stop, stop, stop. crafts craft stop, into what please. you do. bro. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. No, I'm, I don't know that anyone's ever going to see any of the stuff that I've done. Dark Spectre was what was killed by the pandemic for me because I wanted to expand out my Dark Spectre and it's called Dark Spectre 2. It's available on YouTube if you are watching. Um, please watch it uh, just because it, it meant a lot to me. It still means a lot to me. It is a love letter to some degree to my mom. It is what I've always wanted to be, which is a supervillain because I was one of those kids who was always good. I always help my friends. I always do these kinds of things. So more than anything, I've always wanted to be an asshole. And so (laughs) being the supervillain and I'm telling a real story with it. Not the first one. The, the first one's hilarious, but it, it's sketch comedy. The second one is a story. And then there was going to be a series. And I, and I have, li- like I wrote a dark specter three that I don't have the quarter of a million dollars. I would need to make it well. Right. But I love this project. And, um, so if you're going to see anything of mine, that and my interview with, um, Mike from Nickelback where I asked Nickelback why they suck.
1: I, um, I definitely, I definitely watched, watched that. He is,
0: uh, Uh, very the greatest guy yeah he is like um, not that I just threw it in the plugs I hate when people do that but so for the listeners listening
1: now's the time
0: yes (laughs) for the listeners listening I don't know whether you like or hate Nickelback hopefully you do one of those two things as opposed to being indifferent to them but you don't know them. And what I mean by that is there's an assumption of who they are as rock stars and as people. And and I think a lot of people just assume that they're like this bunch of douche nozzles and nothing can be further from the truth. They are really nice down-to-earth guys who have thought about their music extensively and are just really good people. And I say that, and I only know one of them, but I know who he is and I know the kind of people he surrounds himself with. There's no way... He's 25, 30 years in a band with anybody who wasn't similar to him. And they're a family friend unit. And Mike has deep thoughts about why they suck, how they suck. And what makes it interesting is we've, we go in depth about how it affected him, his family, how he thinks it affected their career and just the perspective on how to conduct yourself under these circumstances. It's very open and honest in a way that a lot of people have difficulty being. So um, yeah, definitely um, the show's called fails, falls and F ups or fuck ups, depending on how you want to say it. But yeah,
1: honestly, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I enjoyed every second of it.
0: Thank you. And I enjoyed Um, talking to you. You've got kind eyes. You've got kind eyes. Two of them.
1: I you don't want to see the third, <laughs> um, but
0: yeah. God damn it! You caught me flat-footed. You caught me flat-footed. I had no comeback, and now I've got to sit here in embarrassment. That was not the note I needed to end on, Zachary. That was not the. <laughs> and that is uh, the best way. And <laughs> better left unsaid. Um, uh, oh, do I'm, you... I'm off camera doing that,
1: right? Uh, do, do you have any uh, social media to share?
0: Like, what a surprise. I do. Oh, yes. <laughs> Anyway, so my name is Bruce Naxon. I go by the fittest fat kid you know because I am. And I also have a show called Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups. You can find both of those at every place you get your podcasting consumables. Plus, they are both on YouTube as well as all of my short films, including Dark Specter 2, lunchtime is over. I just, um, we had it hidden, but I've now released it. It's called nothing personal. It was a pilot for a web series. We never did. Um, there's a neat little cute little short that I love called stuff and stuff because I did all the graphics for it. So partake of my YouTube It is and, and leave me likes and comments because I love to engage and I do engage. You can find me on the socials at Instagram. I've got three of them. One is Bruce Naxon. Um, Probably should spell that out, but it'll hopefully it'll be in the show notes. But it's, it um, definitely will. Perfect. Then I'm not going to spell it out. Just look down. <laughs> um, then I've also got for one of my dogs, Mikey, agent of chaos, chaos spelled K A O S. If you want to overindulge in cuteness and a little bit of mayhem, he is your source. And then I've got Fittest Fat Kid. On TikTok, I was Fittest Fat Kid, but I changed that to Bruce Naxon. Twitter, Bruce Naxon. I have a web page for the Fittest Fat Kid, which is www.fittestfatkid.com, and if you are just so old-fashioned that you're like, I just wants to type you a letter, you can email me at hi there at fittestfatkid.com or me at brucenaxon.com. and am I anywhere else? Yes, you can find me on Facebook at fittestfatkid. You can find me on Facebook at Bruce Naxon. There's my personal page, and there is a. Fan page that, to be perfectly honest is only there by attrition. I like if you're going to look for me and try to send me a friend request, you'll want to do my personal page.
1: But yes, so if uh, y'all are. Listening to pot, uh to Better Left Unsaid Podbean. Thank you, host site. Uh, if you are listening to Better Left Unsaid for the first time, and you want to listen to more, you can find it at BetterLeftUnsaid.podbean.com, or you can find it literally wherever else, like Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, uh, Alexa, iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: if you want to follow us on Instagram, it is at bl underscore unsaid. We post. Fun, cute stuff. Pictures of my dog. You know, everybody loves that. It's a trap, for sure. Um, Twitter at at BLUnsaidPodcast. Just started getting into Twitter. All my friends are podcasters. (laughs) I need people who aren't podcasters. Um, (laughs) I love their input. I love their input. (laughs) It's helping me grow. But... Yes. They're either podcasters or I know them personally. So, right, right now. Might mm-hmm. as well have my mom on there, too. Um, and if you do want to leave a comment or leave a review, if it's a five star comment, you can leave it on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or really anywhere else. If it's a one star comment, just send it via email to blunsaid.podcast.com. Uh, that also goes with themes. If you have any themes or embarrassing stories that you wish, For me to share on the podcast, you can send it there too. But thank you all for joining us. And thank you, Bruce.
0: Thank you. Everybody take it easy. Have a good rest of your evening, day, or considering time is flexible from where we're coming from, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, have a better whatever it is that you are currently involved in. Indeed. And
1: rest easy, rest well, and bye-bye.